Ladies, gentlemen, everyone listening, you know what time of year it is. It's spooky season, which can only mean one thing. Trick or treat, motherfuckers, and welcome back to the Diamond Duo Podcast. Here, I, why, why was I going to say here on like a radio station? We're not on a radio station. We're just a fucking <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh, dear God. This is going to be a blooper, but fuck it. Let's continue anyway. I'm Tom Bauer, joined by Tony Puglisi. This is episode 47. <laughs> This is so bad. I, I had a plan, and it just completely derailed. But at any rate, before this keeps derailing, this show is brought to you by two people who are going to be starting a swear jar, probably, for the amount of times we cursed last week <laughs> in the second half of the episode alone. And by how many times I've already cursed in the intro, which is probably already a record. Hello, Tony. Welcome back to Spooky Season. Uh, I had to resurrect that because I remembered that last year and it perfectly synced up. That episode 47 just so happened to be my intro as Halloween is passing again this year. I'm going to be honest, dude. You sent me something at work earlier this week and you said, hey, do you remember what we did for Halloween last year on the show? And I figured you meant like a certain segment or like a discussion we had. So I'm like, no, like I don't think we did anything like that. He's like, no, 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 we did something. Check your inbox. And he <laughs> sets the clip from last year of him going, trick or treat, motherfuckers. And it like, it hit me like a tidal wave. Like, oh my God. Okay. Now I remember. Also, Tom, I'm an idiot. I forgot to keep track of either of our cusses so far. (laughs) Credit, I know I'm only at one. You, I've officially lost track of, and we are two minutes into the episode. That's a problem. (laughs) That is very much a problem. But here's what I was going to propose. And by the way, (laughs) before we get to that, the reason why we're starting this swear jar or curse tally curse counter whatever you want to say it is because tony and i collectively cursed how much how many times was it it was i know it was a record i believe it was 90 times nine zero times in the second (laughs) half of last week's episode alone i don't even know how many times you cursed in the first half but i know we ranted about the yankees last week and we both had some strong words to say the least and they weren't even eliminated from the playoffs yet yeah we had a bunch of strong words for the Yankees. I wish, you know what I wish, dude? I wish I divvied it up for when, like, how many cusses we, I guess, evoked, how many cusses we said before the Yankees segment, because part of it that fell in my half was the Padres and Phillies discussion. Then we went to the Yankees and absolutely, like, made this, turn the show from PG-13 to R just by virtue of cussing (laughs) alone. And dude, you know what also didn't help My editing of that second half, it was 90, by the way. It was 90 on the dot. (laughs) Lovely. (laughs) You know what didn't help my editing process? Hmm. When you said that Justin Verlander was throwing shit upon shit upon shit upon shit upon shit upon And I threw a Porky Pig joke in there, but I didn't know how to edit that. (laughs) Now I'm going to have to edit that, dickhead. (laughs) Thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) That was the point. (laughs) Now you know my pain. You know, I'm gonna do it again because I gotta get these curses out of the way. Do you want me to send you the Porky Pig audio I have at this point? Because you're gonna need it twice now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm probably. <laughs> probably curse like 20 times alone just in the first three minutes of this episode. Oh dear God! How did this become a cussing themed intro? It's Halloween. Why didn't we talk? We both had like stupid Halloween stories from this weekend. <laughs> Trick or treat. <laughs> That's what I can say. 
Oh, it's going to be a trick for us, but it's going to be a treat for the audience. Or it's going to be a trick for me, because I'm going to have to edit this. <laughs> yeah, have fun with that, buddy. Don't worry, I'm probably nice. getting the Yankees again in my half, so that's going to be fun. <laughs> what I was going to say is because we did that so many times last episode, we are going to try and, let's say, uh, calm ourselves down. Let me try that again without the voice crack. We're going to try and calm ourselves down. A little bit with the cursing this episode as much as we possibly can <laughs> i'm sorry how did we spend the past three minutes after all because the, yeah we're gonna we're gonna cut back on the cussing a little bit it's like watching your friend it's like watching your friend go to the bar get absolutely plastered he stumbles into the door like you know what man i'm done i'm not drinking anymore i'm i'm done with that i, I just cussed I, I find that very ironic, but please continue to talk about how we're not going to cuss anymore on this f***ing show. <laughs> Get it? Irony. Uh, dear God. Yeah, so, anyway, the tally hasn't started yet. At a certain point, we will say now, and then we will try and not curse uh, from here on out. I, I have a jar that's probably like 30 pounds worth of coins and I have a mug that I'm going to throw coins into and count how many times I put a coin into my mug that's sitting next to me. By the end of the episode, we will have a tally. Tony is keeping a tally on a napkin, I believe, about how many times we are each doing it or a piece of paper. I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, we will say that at a certain point. I think once we get past the disclaimer, I think that's a good time to be like, okay, now we can... Uh, get on with things because we do have quite a bit of actual baseball news to talk about minus outside of the halloween bullshit that we had to endure this weekend because we each have some funny stories i don't know if we wanted to go through them or if we just wanted to get on with the episode but uh because <laughs> we're already five minutes <laughs> in <laughs> and we're just talking about cursing i mean if you want to we're, you're more than welcome to i don't think we need to turn it into a whole segment but you know what i almost want to talk about let's talk about oh, this please. Because Tom put in our group chat last night, actually, let me pull it up, because this was probably one of my favorite exchanges we as a group chat have ever had. Uh, I think I know where loading. you're going Give with it a this. <laughs> you better know where I'm going with this, because this was really funny. <laughs> Tom sends a message to the group chat at 9 p.m. on Saturday night, says, so I'm in a costume party right now. Any guesses as to who I am? I shoot, you know, baseball joke. Angel Hernandez? And he says, no, I'll give you one more guess. And I say, how close was I? He goes, Tom goes, the exact opposite. So I <laughs> throw out, okay, the Eye of Sauron, because he sees all. Little Lord of the Rings humor. <laughs> he just says, all right, here it is. This man says a picture of himself dressed as Jesus Christ. <laughs> My, by the way, with a caption saying, shout out to all my brothers in Christ. That's genius, by the way. What? You gotta say it with the inflection. Shout out to all my brothers in Christ! Oh, I didn't know there was an inflection. Some... Yeah, you gotta say it with some enthusiasm. Because I was Jesus for Halloween. <laughs> that was a great find. You in this beard does not invoke that kind of inflection, I'm not gonna lie. You're giving me, like, the dude vibes from the Big Lebowski if you've ever seen that movie. <laughs> yes, I've, I've seen that. <laughs> but my favorite part of this exchange is right after. He sends the picture, sends the words, I am Jesus after that, which is probably the last set of three words I ever expected this man to say in any context ever. But then 
I text, I say that, I say that exact sentence back, and then it clicks in my head. Wait, wait, wait. You described Jesus Christ as the opposite of Angel Hernandez, the exact opposite. I was waiting in line with my girlfriend at a haunted house, and I just started losing my mind laughing at that prospect. <laughs> and Tom, why don't you go ahead, why don't you go ahead and say how you responded to that? The opposite of Angel Hernandez is Jesus? Yes, because Angel Hernandez is the Antichrist. A.K.A. the Antichrist <laughs> of baseball. <laughs> actually, scratch that. That actually might be Rob Manfred. But, uh, but um, I mean, Angel Hernandez can be up for consideration, oh. too. Now that I'm thinking you about it a little bit more. Oh, no, that was the perfect comeback for the moment. But I could see him as like a second in command or like a rogue devil who's like or demon, rather, who's like one of the ones you could summon. Sort of, kind of. I don't know. I don't know the hierarchy of hell. I don't care to know the hierarchy of hell. Oh, my God. But that was the... I don't want to say the highlight of my Halloween weekend, because like I said, I did go to a haunted house with my girlfriend. We did go out to a fun bar afterwards, dressed up. But that... It's kind of weird to call, like, a text interaction a highlight, but that was absolutely a highlight. Just... <laughs> That was fantastic. We should all oh, we should have done this show in costumes for the people to no. uh, not be able to see because it's a visual medium. But still, no, I, not I can't. I my costume is being washed right now because I spilled a lot of uh, beverages. Let's say all <laughs> over the costume last night at a party. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus. You know, you're Jesus. You were Jesus though. You could pass that off as wine. I was making so many Jesus jokes the entire night, like, I, I probably need to actually go to church for realsies, just to, like, absolve my sins of what I was saying last night. <laughs> Please tell me somebody, like, I, I don't want to ask the extent, because this is a family show, as, as, ex, as exemplified by the excessive cussing in the beginning of it, but I, I need to ask... Please tell yeah. me one of your buddies was, like, trying to sober up at one point, trying to have some water, and you offered to change it to wine. I should have done that, but one of my highlights was I was playing Pong, and we were, like, desperately trying to come back because we were up and then we fell through. So I started, like, my hands are cusped right now, and I started looking up toward the ceiling, and I started saying an Our Father. And I proceeded to miss the shot, and then my friend immediately synced the other shot and won the game for the other team. So, it, the prayer worked <laughs> in the opposite. <laughs> you know what happened just there? Jesus, like the actual Jesus, looked down at you with like his arms crossed and his, one of his feet tapping like a disapproving mother, like watching her kid come home late after a party, just like, you know what, just for that. And he blesses the other team. <laughs> I got holy hand slapped. That's exactly what just happened, pretty much. The holy hand slap, the holy hand grenade. Oh, you should have come to the party with the holy hand grenade. See, my costume, I found that Spear Halloween, by the way. Uh, we're going off on so much of a tangent. We gotta get talking about baseball soon. You're... <laughs> I, I found an accompaniment that said the the book of Holy Hammered. And in it, it had a plastic <laughs> flask and two shot glasses. And it was a makeshift <laughs> like Bible. I brought that and that was hilarious. I, that that was so perfect. That costed extra, but that was worth it. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ! God. That was like the first time I Jesus up Christ, for literally, in a while too, and I choose Jesus of all people. <laughs> well, of course.
<laughs> naturally. God, I don't even know how to bounce off of that because I need to go to church myself to absolve my sins. I don't want to keep adding to the list. <laughs> oh, God. Needless to say, I was Jesus at a Halloween party, and I was disappointed that Tony didn't punch somebody in the haunted house that he went to with his girlfriend. You were disappointed I didn't punch somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we need to change that behavior. We need to modify it so when you get scared, you, like, aimlessly just go, ah! And then you whack somebody straight in, like, the nose or something. Because that would be a great instinct. You might get sued, but I think yeah. it would be hilarious. I mean, that's the thing. You gotta imagine these folks are underpaid enough. They've gotta jump out at people all day. The folks who are going there and don't get scared and, like, yell back at them or do, like, do to the set that's just got to be annoying to them the last thing they need is like a black eye or a broken nose although in a vacuum it would be pretty funny it would <laughs> like, be hilarious like, we would get tens of likes at least because <laughs> <laughs> i learned yesterday that when i get scared i i don't punch i just kind of recoil sometimes like hit the deck and throw my hands up and curse <laughs> very loudly <laughs> So, essentially, Tony is a hissing cat when he gets scared. That's exactly what Tony is. <laughs> I didn't make the correlation, but it almost makes sense. That's the scary part. Because I didn't, like, hit the floor. Like, I wasn't, like, on the ground. But I did, like, I bent my knees. I, like, hunched over and got back. And if I yelled, like, F it would be a long out, like, <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, a cartoon where you start to see, like, the spikes of like the cat's hair like up and go Aah! i'm imagining just, like, that's you <laughs> like the short hairs on my head just like stand up in the most <laughs> literal cartoony way possible <laughs> i do one of those like i jump and like stay in the air like i'm shaggy from scooby-doo getting scared <laughs> god damn uh, we really let this we really <laughs> let this tangent go for a while we're 20 minutes into the recording but this is this is funny halloween like i'm not even into halloween fully but these are damn good stories <laughs> Like, like I said, that was the first time I dressed up for Halloween in a while, and I'm happy I did that because I had one hell of a time at that uh, costume party I went to yesterday. No regrets. I only, I did have to go to work on like one hour of sleep, but honestly, it was worth it. So that's fine by me. But I, I, I was having fun talking about Halloween. I know we need to talk about baseball and the scary thought that the Astros could still win the World Series because that would be a real trick, uh, not a treat. But, uh, any rate, <laughs> we really need to get on with this episode. So let's get right into the disclaimers. Uh, by the way, we're recording on Sunday, October 30th, uh, at about 10 p.m. when we started. It's now 10.21 p.m. in the p.m. in the 10.21 p.m. in the p.m.s. Great job, Tom. Uh, so needless to say, anything that happens after this episode is recorded, we will not be discussing, and something will happen probably on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, as it always does, as it happened <laughs> last week, literally, in some stories that we will be discussing right after uh, this uh, disclaimers. Also, go follow us on social media at the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram, at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter. We've got some show updates. We've got some content. We didn't have quick hits last week. My apologies, by the way. I had zero time to do that. So, we shall see. But there will be more social media content as the off-season approaches from the Diamond Duo. Because, hey, we gotta do something in the off-season to, sati to satiate. Satiate. There you go. Our uh, thirst for baseball knowledge and content. We gotta do that at some point. 
And that also means we'll probably be going to bi-weekly episodes at some point, but we'll have more on that when that actually happens. Okay, Tony, disclaimers are out of the way. This is the point on that we have to watch what we say. <laughs> Let me get the napkin ready, the cursing napkin. Yeah, get your tallies ready. I'll have my jar of coins behind me and start throwing stuff into my mug. If I say any curse words, you can do whatever the hell you want over there. But, uh... I just have my napkin and my pen. I don't have any coins nor jar, which I like to point out the hilarity since I didn't in the moment of you left for like two minutes to see, oh, I think I got a jar of coins somewhere. And you come back, like you said, with this 30 pound jar filled <laughs> with quarters and pennies. Just, you just had it around. Like, wait a minute. Had we had the perfect, like we literally, dude, had the perfect prop surrounding coins twice yours and my giant dime to flip for the the teams of the month oh yeah well we're we're just ready when it comes to money we got it in ravages that <laughs> no we don't no we don't no we don't 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 try and steal from please us. please don't please sponsor us yeah somebody Before. actually please sponsor us then we can make some actual money but <laughs> that being said we do have major headlines to talk about before we get into the first two games of the World Series discussion. And again, at this point, when we're recording, only games one and two have actually happened. Probably by the time we record next week's episode, we will have a World Series winner. And we will see, inevitably, whether Tom Bauer has to end, probably end up buying either Astros gear or a Phillies jersey in celebration of the Phillies winning the World Series. I'm hoping it's the latter, but we shall see any rate, before we get to that, we have some managerial shakeups, Tony. And I guess we'll just start with the one that happened literally today, October 30th. And that is the Royals made some managerial moves, or managerial move, I should say. Why plural? I don't know. Matt Quat Raro. God, I should have looked up a pronunciation of this man. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying so hard not to curse, by the way. I'm, it's like Matt, building Matt inside. Qu Qu you had one just ready to go, and you're like, oh, can't, can't do that. Gotta just as, stutter his name. I was going to be like, Quattraro. <clears throat> and I would be like, beep me, but uh, can't do that. We got to keep a PG for the kids out there. Uh, yeah, he's going to be managing the uh, Kansas City Royals. I almost said the Cincinnati Royals, but that's not true. <laughs> he will be managing the Kansas City Royals going forward. Tony, I believe this was Tampa's bench coach. And from what I hear, he's got rave reviews from players and other coaches about his demeanor and his approach to the game of baseball. That is absolutely correct. So he's been with Tampa Bay, like you said, as their bench coach. Uh, but he's also been in Cleveland under Terry Francona for a short period of time. He's only 48, so he's one of the younger managers in baseball. Like you said, lauded by players, lauded by execs. is seen around the league as the guy to help guide Kansas City's young core. You know, guys like Brady Singer and Chris Bubich and, and Daniel Lynch and the rotation. Guys like Vinny Pasquatino and MJ Melendez in the lineup. Those are guys who need a guiding hand, guy who a guy who's used to working with young players to ease their transition into the league. And who better to do that than somebody who worked with the, I almost said the Royals, the Rays, probably one of the youngest rosters in baseball, at least for the past couple seasons. Great reviews by everybody, like I just said. And honestly, if you want to compare him to Mike Matheny, I like him better already. 
I don't know <laughs> things like, you know, bullpen tendencies and in-game decisions and lineup constructions. We'll, we'll get that once the season starts, obviously. It's way too early to judge him as a hire from that respect now because I do believe this is his first time being a big league manager. So congrats to him on that. That's a great stepping stone for him. But just knowing him based on his relationships with his players and other executives in the Rays organization, it seems at this moment like a really good hire. It's not going to be something that'll spark the Royals to like an 80 win season right away. It's a step in the right direction. A rebuilding team needs the right hand to guide them. And Matt Quattraro, I, Quattraro, I think that's it, looks like the guy to do it. So... Good job, Royals. You didn't botch the hiring process for <laughs> for once. Now just go get yourself a decent hitting coach. So yeah, Tony, this is a fantastic hire, I do believe, as well. I, I'm looking on Twitter right now, trying to see any negatives about Matty Q. I'm just going to call him that because I don't want to try and pronounce his last name again and ultimately butcher it. So Matty Q, I only see great things about him from everybody on Twitter. It's a fantastic hire. It's a terrific hire. And it's not just people from the media. It's fans chiming in, too. And they're very optimistic about Matty Q and what he can bring to KC. So if we didn't say already, it's a three-year deal plus an option. So he'll at least be there, hopefully, for that long. Um, I sure as hope he outlasts Mike Matheny's reign in KC. But ultimately, that's not really too much of a stepping stone, I guess, to like overcome. So that should be a pretty easy task, if you ask me. A quote from Matty Q, I already knew the talent on the roster and how great the fans in Kansas City are, and the interview process convinced me that the terrific things I'd heard about the organization's culture are true. I can't wait to get started. And that's exactly what you want to hear. He hit it right out of the park about that. And of course, of course, we all know that uh, Matty Q has a young core in the uh, Royals organization. And Matt Hughes worked with a lot of young players on the Rays because I feel like most of their players are relatively younger. He got to work probably with Wanda Franco this year, Randy Rosarena when he was coming up, although he wasn't technically that young at the time, but still, he's their best player on the roster by far with young pitchers and this, that, and the other thing. Shane McClanahan, I mean, hell, the Kansas City Royals can surely use some pitching. So, I mean, maybe he's got some knowledge that he can... Uh, and still out in Kansas City. But until we see anything further, Matty Q, he sounds like the right man for the job. And he was one of the best men out on the market, uh, or one of the best managers, I should say, out on the market that were available. And yeah, they got him. Good job, KC. Now don't butcher this. All right. So we go from one team that sucked this year to another team that sucked this year. Well, I mean, I guess technically all these teams that we talk about kind of sucked in some regard. But regardless, this one kind of caught us a little bit off guard because the Marlins are hiring former MLB or Skip Schumacher to replace Don Mattingly down in Miami. Now, I, we knew he was a finalist. I feel like he was like a bench coach for the team already, I think I recall seeing. If not, you're definitely going to correct me. But this one kind of shocked me. I honestly thought Joe Espada would get the job in Miami. I, I I don't know. That's what I would have thought, Tony. I'm going to be honest. The Marlins managerial search, uh, I was looking to see, you know, how the Rangers would approach it, if the rumors about Bruce Bochy I heard were true. So it came out of scenic nowhere for me. And like you said, Tom, I think for a lot of people too. But I don't know. Schumacher is Schumacher's an interesting pick because I do like the fact that the Marlins are getting a lot younger in the managerial department. I think Schumacher's only like 41. 42. I, 
Let me look it up right now. He's 42. Yeah. He's very young. He's down there with like Ollie Marmel with the youngest managers in baseball. So I love to see that for Miami. Someone who's probably more analytically inclined. He used to play, like you said, I believe he had a really good career. 10 years, you know, not really good. You know, he's not a Hall of Famer, but still played for 10 years, all with or most with St. Louis, rather Uh, played with the Dodgers and Reds in the back half of his career. Going to go manage down in South Beach now. Seems like a guy who's very, uh, very well respected around the game. Excuse me. And like I said, just the idea of getting someone who's, I guess, more in touch with today's game than Mattingly is. That's not to say Mattingly was out of touch so to speak, but, you know, Mattingly played last before the turn of the century. Schumacher retired, I believe, in 2015. Yep. I Some of these guys on the Marlins team were active, I believe, when Schumacher was still in baseball. Hopefully he could bring a bit of rejuvenation into that Marlins dugout, because this is a team that's really gone about itself like a zombie the past couple years, at least since 2018. So if Schumacher could get in there and breathe some new life into that dugout. Maybe a lot of the players, you know, have a little more fun, you know, try and get their, try and get the chemistry going a little bit because roster turnover, roster turnover in the Miami Marlins go together like uh, bread and butter, hate to say. Yeah, just like with Quattraro, he's never been a manager before, so I can't really judge him by his tendencies and all that jazz, but just based on his, honestly, his age and his connection to the game and how, how good people's opinions on him seem to be. I think it's the right move for Miami. I don't know if he's the best one on the market. We'll have to see, but it's 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 the right move. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I also find it, so I'll go through his managerial, uh, I guess, or rather coaching career cycle, I guess. So in 2017, he became the new first base coach of the San Diego Padres. He was promoted to associate manager prior to the 2020 season. Uh, on November 6th of 2021, Schumacher was hired as the bench coach for the St. Louis Cardinals. And then, of course, literally about a year later, uh, obviously, he was just hired as the manager, again, replacing Don Mattingly. Of course, that's not the only changes that are happening to the Cardinals because they're losing hitting coach Jeff Albert and also pitching coach Mike Maddox, who will not be returning to St. Louis. But that's a whole different story that we're not going to even be talking about on the podcast. But Schumacher was the bench coach for the Cardinals. And I saw this on Twitter. I couldn't find it. But apparently there's like a strong lineage of people who were the bench coach for the St. Louis Cardinals. Their next job would be a manager somewhere else. Like, I forget exactly who the previous bench coaches were. I could probably find it out with a quick Google search, and I will try and do that again. If it's any indication, that I mean, that's a great thing. I mean, the Cardinals had a great year with Schumacher as the bench coach this year. Apparently he had a good rapport with Ali Marmol, the uh, manager of the St. Louis Cardinals right now. So that's always a good sign to see. Uh, but yeah, 42 years old, a relatively young manager. Uh, we'll see if he's more analytically based, I guess, which I would assume just because it seems like most young managers nowadays kind of lean into that a little bit more, which I can't necessarily fault them for just because of how the game has kind of moved towards analytics. But, I mean, I, I think it's a solid enough hire. I mean, I, I can't see anything, like, too, too bad about Skip Schumacher, really. Yeah, so that's pretty much what I got to say about Skip Schumacher. By the way, that lineage I was talking about, some of the other bench coaches that became managers for the St. Louis Cardinals include David Bell, uh, who is now the current manager of the Cincinnati Reds. He was the bench coach from 2015 to 2017. Mike Schilt, 
who was the uh, manager of the St. Louis Cardinals at one point, and now apparently he's working in San Diego, or at least he was on an interim basis. Uh, Ron Pop Warner, uh, he is the third base coach for the Cardinals. That doesn't count. Ali Marmol, nice voice crack. Ali Marmol <laughs> was the bench coach from 2019 to 2021. And obviously, you know where that got him now. And then, of course, Skip Schumacher, he's going to San Diego. So whoever the next bench coach is, chances are, following this uh, list since David Bell uh, was in St. Louis, uh, that person will surely be a manager soon enough in the big leagues. I mean, if that's any indication, then you put him in a dugout with a Marlins team that's primed to be relevant for the first time. I mean, if you omit 2020, because of course you would. Relevant for the first time since about 2017. I think they're setting him up for success down there. Uh, I would hope the Marlins would at least be a little active in the offseason to help him help him out a little bit. A bunch of their acquisitions in the previous offseason really, really, really didn't go too well. I'm looking squarely at Avasil Garcia and Jorge Soler. Enormous yikes on their parts. Oh boy, it's time to talk about everybody's favorite team and everybody's favorite managerial search because, folks, the White Sox are in this goddamn segment again. Yes, they are, Tony, but not for the reasons we were going to talk about. Hello, everyone. Editor Tom here, and Tony and I were about to talk about the White Sox managerial carousel for probably what's been the third straight week now. Um, We heard some rumors that Joe Espada had been taken out of the search. And then we were going to dive into who we thought the two finalists possibly were going to be off of a post I saw on Twitter, but it doesn't matter because neither of those names were going to be the ultimate manager for the Chicago White Sox. And of course, we didn't know this information during our recording session as it was released on Tuesday, November 1st. Happy November, everybody, by the way. That Pedro Gryfall, if I said that correctly, Pedro Gryfall will be the next manager of the Chicago White Sox. Now, Gryfall has been the Royals bench coach, I believe, for the past five seasons, if I read correctly. And it's interesting that Matty Q is taking over and Gryfall is leaving. Obviously, for a better opportunity with a division rival, I might add. But either way, good for Gryfall. We might be talking more about this in the next episode, depending on how far in the World Series we get. But until then, just know that Pedro Gryfall is the manager of the Chicago White Sox. We have more news from the front office of a specific baseball team, but not from a managerial sense, but from a more higher-up brass sense, because the Brewers just lost their president of baseball ops in David Stearns. He has stepped down willingly from his role after they fell short of the postseason, and an individual by Matt Arnold, who I believe has been working with Stearns, yeah, he's been working with him since he became GM of the Brewers back in 2015, where, fun fact, he was actually the youngest GM in baseball when he was hired, so fun little tidbit about that. Arnold is going to be promoted from assistant GM, or excuse me, he was promoted from assistant GM to senior VP, and then to GM in 2020. So he served as the general manager under David Stearns, and he is going to have some big shoes to fill because under David Stearns, the Brewers basically found their relevancy again from 2015 to up until now in 2022. They made the playoffs multiple times, made an ALCS run seemingly out of nowhere, and bred some damn good players and traded for some even better ones. The Christian Yelich trade happened under him. The draft of guys like Trent Grisham, even though he wouldn't do a ton with the organization, happened under him. 
in addition to the development of pitchers like Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. So his impact on the field is definitely going to be missed, and Matt Arnold, like I said, is going to have some big shoes to fill. But more about Stearns, Tom, I'll throw... If you want to add anything about David Stearns, you absolutely can, but also pick up this part of the conversation if you care to. Mm. Where do you think David Stearns falls on the Mets priority list? I think I know this was going around Twitter a ton, but the Mets need a president of baseball ops. David Stearns is, I think, easily the top prospect for said position for any team in need of one. What are, what, what are your thoughts on it? You think they're, you think they're going to go for him? So I was going to say that this almost seems like a move where he kind of knew what was going to be coming or where he wanted to go in his career. And it's to a bigger market, obviously, to try and take control there. He was able to find relevancy and success in Milwaukee, like Tony was saying, And I'll get to the Mets in a minute. But real quickly, here is David Stearns on the end of his tenure running the baseball uh, ops for the Brewers. This is not an easy decision for me and is something I've been wrestling with for a long time. Mark Adonacio and I have had an open dialogue and we both knew this day could eventually come. It's been a priority for both of us that any transition would take place while the organization is in a healthy position with solid leadership and a talented roster going forward. That is certainly the case today. I'm very grateful to Mark and all of our staff for their support and efforts throughout my tenure with the Brewers. Mark, Matt, and I... Uh, Both arrived in 2015, and he's more than ready for the next opportunity. I'm committed to serving as a resource to Matt as he sees fit, and the the organization moves through the um, transition. So yeah, I've got another quote from Mark Adonacio that I will read in a minute, but um, if we haven't said this already, uh, he is stepping back as president of baseball ops. He's apparently going to remain in an advisory role to ownership and baseball operations, so I'm assuming that's why he says I'm going to continue to serve as a resource to Matt. Um, through the transition period. So again, I still think he's moving on to bigger and uh, better things. Now here's Mark Adonacio uh, on David Stearns. Over the last seven years, David has not only led our baseball ops at a high level, but he has also become a good friend, of course. Our discussions about his long-term plans have always been open and candid. And while I'm disappointed that David is stepping down, I'm grateful to David and know he has a very bright future. David's impact on the organization has been transformational. He's created a process that has yielded highly competitive teams consistently and raised expectations to a, ne- to a new level, both e- internally and with our fans. While we will miss David, I'm excited for the opportunity this provides Matt. He's one of the brightest executives in the game, blah, 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 about Matt. So, again, he has a very bright future. He's going to move on to bigger things. That is the key here. And from what they're saying it's kind of becoming obvious. And as Tony mentioned, the Mets have that position open. I threw out the idea of Dayton Moore back when he was initially fired by Kansas City. I thought he could be a front-runner guy. But I feel like David Stearns has been connected to the Mets. I don't know if this is true. I feel like he's been connected to them in the past even. And now it just seems like it's coming full circle. The only person that we really have to wait on is probably Steve Cohen to give that approval and then david stearns will be hired probably as the next president baseball operations for the mets so i do think that's a very solid possibility and if i had to guess uh who would be it 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 would have to be david stearns i'd have to say at this rate i would agree with you tony he's the front runner i'd be curious to see i guess where milwaukee goes with it i mean they just literally said matt arnold will serve into the lead role 
I was about to throw out the idea of maybe Dayton Moore can have like a low cane moment and head up to Milwaukee. But of course, if they're going to have Matt Arnold taking that role, that wouldn't be necessary to begin with. Yeah, no, it seemed like Arnold was kind of always supposed to be Stern's heir apparent. So they're going to run with him, see how far he could take the team. He was under Stern's, so he already has a good idea of how, you know, how the machine works, how the sausage gets made. And that, I think, alone is worth more than what Dayton Moore can provide. Still a good candidate. And I, it's funny you called it the low cane path. I didn't even put that together going from KC to Milwaukee. But Stearns, he's going to find himself another job this offseason. Whether or not it's with the Mets, he'll, he'll be employed 100%. But yeah, we'll see how Matt Arnold does with the Brewers and sees if he can steer them, steer them in a similar direction. Yes, and I would like to point this out. I'm looking at David Stern's Wikipedia page. I'm hoping this is true. He had previously worked for the Mets in the uh, baseball operations department. I'm assuming younger in his career. This is like in 2007-2008. He was, uh, he interned for the Pirates and then went over to the Mets. So yeah, this is around 2007-2008. Also would like to point out, born and raised in Manhattan. If we want to make the connection any clearer. Just wanted to point that out there. And he's 37 years old, which is uh, hard to still fathom. He is 37 years old. This man is a president of baseball operations and is younger than every manager in baseball at this point. That's really funny, actually. He's younger than some players. What am I saying? Managers. God damn. I don't want to use the Miggy example again because I know we did that. Or not Miggy, Pujols because we did that with Ollie Marmel. But still, that's that's funny just to think about. We'll definitely have more to touch upon in the offseason once David Stearns does find a job. Let's go over two player-centric stories. One actually really surprised me and one couldn't really surprise me because I forgot this individual existed. No offense, but it's true. Anyway, Nolan Arenado, who was expected by many to opt out of his contract with the Cardinals and ask for some more money or test the open market for real this time, he has decided to opt back in. So he's now under contract until 2027 with the St. Louis Cardinals. So... That little trap door that Rockies management put in there to, you know, in case they didn't trade Arenado for him to utilize and get out of Colorado. Yeah, he didn't end up using it. He actually likes it in St. Louis because it's not a toxic (laughs) effing team. I almost cussed, but I caught myself. (laughs) See? Growth. Character development. We'll see how long that lasts. It's not going to last long. I can tell you right now because I know what other stories we have to talk about and I know... There's going to be some sort of cursing from one of us. I'm just going to see who's going to bite the bullet first. That's going to be hilarious to find out. Maybe. I was just going to say, yeah, we're going to get there when we get there because it's going to come up at some point. God damn. But yeah, no, Arenado staying in St. Louis. Him and Goldie are going to be anchoring that team's hitting core for the next couple of years now. I actually don't know off the top of my head, Tom, how much he's making. Do you have that pulled up or should I? I believe it's $144 million over these next five years. Yeah, not much else to add about that. Good for Nolan. Uh, second piece of news, and then Tom, I'll throw it over to you. Brock Holt, Red Sox postseason legend, has called it a career after 10 pretty successful seasons up in the bigs. Uh, he finishes his career... With a 262 batting average, a 332 on base, and a 362 slugging. Not the greatest hitter out there, not the greatest defender, but was always... What's a good way to put it, Tom? He was always like that missing piece type of player. He would never be, you know, the greatest player on your team. But when you needed him, he would come through in a clutch. Mm-hmm. 
You know, of course, as Yankees fans, we got to see that goddamn clutch factor in 2018 when this man became the first player to hit for the cycle in the postseason. And he did that against the Yankees with a home run off of Yankees legend Austin Romine. Uh, one of the saddest days in my life, because I think that was the 15-1 to blowout in the ALDS, and it just made me want to cry. Uh, Brock Holt was a big part of that. Thank you, Brock. But no, in all seriousness, good player. He was actually an all-star one year back in 2015, uh, which ironically <laughs> enough wasn't even his best season. His best season, uh, with the stick at least, was 2018. So happy for him. Hope he finds, hope he could, bleh, hope he continues to find his happiness in retirement. He had to have been like a reserve, like I'm assuming, like, right? Because how in God's name was he an all-star that year? No offense to Brock Holt. I'm happy he was an all-star. <laughs> Let me see the other second baseman that year. Brian Dozier, Jason Kipnis. Uh, starter was oh, Jose Altuve. Great. Jason Kipnis. That's not a name I've thought of in a minute. Dang God. Alcides Escobar was the starting shortstop. This is also when the Royals were uh, on the verge of World Series. Um, oh, wait. Gardner, this, dude, this was... This was a... Wait, Brett uh, Gardner? He, he was a left fielder. He was a reserve. This is an interesting uh, roster, I should say the least, for uh, the American League. I, I'm, we're not going to go into the 2015 All-Star Game. This is not the <laughs> podcast for it. No, Why not, no. though? <laughs> because I said so. Uh, so, yeah, the perfect bench player. That's what Brock Holt can essentially be. He could be that contact guy off the bench that could get on base if you needed him to. That's what I, Tony was alluding to. And I will say the exact same thing. Jack, uh, our good friend of the podcast, Jack, <laughs> I know he's got two Brock Holt jerseys, <laughs> one of him in a Brewers uniform, <laughs> one of him in a Red Sox uniform. I've seen him wear both to Yankee Stadium before. And uh, Oh, God. I have two, actually. <laughs> That's the same game. <laughs> and it was uh, hilarious both times. Uh, but uh, he'll probably be uh, very, very hurt that Brock Holt is calling it quits. But again, he did have a very successful career. Uh, to say the least. Uh, not everybody can say that they've spent 10 years up in the big leagues uh, playing every kid's dream. Uh, so, yeah. Good job, Brock Holt. Congrats. Uh, as far as Nolan Arenado goes, the prophecy is dead, so this doesn't really matter to me too, too much anymore. <laughs> it's not a pressing concern. Uh, <laughs> so. you're, like, you're, you're like a salty ex trying not to care about... <laughs> Your ex's love life, like, oh, it's it's good that they kept their third baseman, but I don't care. It's not my problem anymore. Yeah, who cares anymore? I was going to curse there, but I'm better than that. So, Nolan oh, Arenado. Yeah, Nolan Arenado will still remain one of my favorite players and favorite third baseman in the game of baseball, as will Paul Goldschmidt in terms of one of my favorite first basemen, one of my favorite players. Um, again, maybe the Cardinals will actually do something now that there's not this looming pressure on them from a... Uh, baseball podcast uh out on the landscape but we shall see so yeah five years 144 million dollars for the possible runner-up for mvp this year if not the outright winner but that should probably be still paul goldschmidt but we shall see hey speaking of awards perfect transition silver slugger <laughs> finalists were announced and boy howdy are there some uh notable players the aforementioned uh nolan arenado and oh, paul goldschmidt are candidates by the way, I'm looking at this list right now, and Tony forgot to list the catchers for the National League, so that's great. Oh, um, God damn it. Shh. We, shh, shh. we don't need to talk about that. That didn't happen. I'm pulling <laughs> them up right now. I'll, I'll just write them all in right now. It's fine. We'll, we'll take a break from the show. It's, it's only 11 o'clock. We have time. 
it's only it's only then so you know what i'll go through the american league i'll just run through the i guess you could say the top three and then uh we'll get to some notable exceptions or should i how do you want to do this tony we really didn't plan this out do you just want me to rattle off every single name (laughs) from every single position and then uh or do you want me to leave off the notable snubs because i know we're going to be talking about them at some point or the or excuse me the wtfs not the snubs I was going to say, I didn't write in any snubs this week, because that's the thing about Silver uh, silver Slugger. Gold Glove finalists, there's three for every position. It's just, it's that easy. Silver Slugger, for some reason, could have anywhere from four to effing, like, eight, <laughs> seven, it seems like. it's There's no real limit, I guess. Rattling them off, all of them, like, that, that would take a while. <laughs> yeah, but, I, I, I guess we'll go through the favorites, I think we could say. Yeah, that's... That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm thinking, too. Like, list, like, one or two. Like, oh, yo, AL catcher could be, you know, it could be Alejandro Kirk. It could be Adley Rutschman. And if it's Martin Maldonado, I'll peel my eyes out. (laughs) Which, spoiler alert, he's the biggest notable WTF. (laughs) By a landslide. Maybe. (laughs) A landslide. It's not even close. Oh, God. But, um, yeah, Tony organized these by WRC+, which I believe is wins runs created plus i i screw that up you tell me it is weighted runs created plus basically a very like i'll explain as quickly as possible the same thing as ops plus where 100 is the middle but it uses a different factor to weight it i believe it's based on expected stats rather than stats stats it, it's weird mm. but i use this one because some stats nerds out there prefer to ops plus I've not met any of these nerds, but more importantly, it was easier to organize by this on fan graphs than OPS plus on baseball reference. So this is what we're running with. And it's, like I said, basically the same stat anyway. Fair enough. I will go through the American League. So some notable candidates I will go through in the American League. So we already routed off the catchers who are notable. Uh, also, Salvador Perez is on there for whatever reason. And of course, our favorite nickname, uh, probably of the MLB season, Big Dumper Cal Rally is another candidate there. I'm not going to list every candidate going forward, um, unless I feel like it. First base, though, we do have four very good candidates, and I will list them all off because I think they're all possibly deserving, at least by WRC+. Um, Nathaniel Lau would lead the way at 143. Vlad Guerrero Jr., he and Anthony Rizzo and Jose Abreu are the other candidates. If you asked me, it'd be Nathaniel Lau who would be taking this home, or possibly Vladdy Guerrero Jr., but I don't want to give him any more clout um, on his supposed Toronto Blue Jays movie of the season. We don't need to talk about (laughs) that anymore. Second base, you've got Jose Altuve or Andres Jimenez, who are probably going to be your two leading candidates. Of course, you would know who I would pick, but I'm biased. Of course, it's Andres Jimenez. That's who I would pick in a heartbeat, and everybody knows why. Uh, Third base, the top two candidates. I thought it was dead, Tom. Excuse me? Wait. Oh my god, why did I think he was on the Cardinals? Shut up. Don't. I didn't say anything. Wait, why Andres Jimenez? Who did you think? No, I want to know this now. Wait, why Andres Jimenez? Andres Jimenez? Yeah. Because I liked his season better than Jose Altuve's season. Okay, fair enough. I I was curious. I'm like, for some reason, I like, I inceptioned my brain. I'm like, wait, no, he's not on the Cardinals. Like, what do you mean? I thought the prophecy was dead, man. As I said, I'm going through the American League candidates, and then Tony and and hey. then Tony correlates that. Uh, wow, Jose Altuve had 103 runs this year. Oh, he actually had a 300 average. 
Yeah, like we're gonna I, I hate Altuve, okay, but gonna, he, I hate Altuve, but he's gonna win. <laughs> okay, we're gonna ignore that. I'm still gonna say Andres Jimenez because I don't like the little <laughs> midget. Um, third base, <laughs> the two leading candidates are Rafi Devers and Jose Ramirez. That's a coin flip, to be honest. Bo Bichette and uh, Xander Bogarts are probably your two leading shortstop candidates. Carlos Correa technically has the highest WRC plus at 140 out of the other. Shortstops on this list. There's one other shortstop, but to be fair, I think he had a lackluster season, so I'm not going to mention him. Outfield. This is where we actually have a long laundry list of candidates, and I'm okay with that. And I will actually rattle off everybody because uh, why the hell not? Uh, Aaron Judge. Easy. Julio Rodriguez. Kyle Tucker. Mike Trout. Randy Rosarena. George Springer. Taylor Ward. Anthony Santander. I'm assuming that's Adolis Garcia and Teoscar Hernandez as well. All very good with the bat this season. I would probably go Judge, Trout, and either Tucker or Rodriguez, to be honest, but that's just me. Uh, I'll say Rodriguez just because. Why the hell not? DH, it's Jordan Alvarez and Shohei Otani. Those are going to be your two candidates there. George Springer is nominated again, for whatever reason, at DH, but uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and the utility guys are... Luis Arias and Shohei Otani, who are probably going to be your two leading candidates there. Tony, time to talk about the National League. Yes, it is. Let me pull up the catcher's list because some dashing Italian podcast host made a silly mistake and forgot to put the catchers who were nominated. But it's okay. We're rolling with it. There's only four of them anyway. We got Will Smith of the Dodgers, JT Romuto of the Phillies, Willie Contreras of the Cubs, and Travis Darno of the Atlanta Braves. I've got them all pulled up and sorted by WRC Plus right now. It's a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. I forgot how badly Contreras slumped at the end of the year. Had he not done that, it would be his award handily. I'm going to be honest, JT Romuto's last minute push towards the second half of the season. He was fantastic in the second half and he's been fantastic in the playoffs. I feel like it could either go to him or Contreras, although shout out to Will Smith, perpetually the most underrated catcher in baseball. And Darno is there just because. First base, absolutely loaded. Goldschmidt, Freeman, Alonzo, Olsen, and Walker. I almost said Alonzo twice. We're not going to question it. Uh, as absolutely loaded as this position is, you could genuinely make a case for any of these guys winning if they were on other positions and not all clumped together in one. But I think this is going to go to Goldie. I love Freeman. He had a really underrated season. But if you just look by WRC+, plus, Goldschmidt is 20 points higher, which is the same difference. One and two is the same difference between three and five, Alonzo and Christian Walker. So, yeah, it's going to be Goldschmidt for me. Second base, two big guys are Jeff McNeil and Jake Cronenworth. This is going to go to Jeff McNeil, and this really shouldn't be a contest. I love Jeff McNeil. He's had a great season. Really good bounce-back season, too. Third base, Machado and Arenado is honestly like the American League. It's a coin flip. Their WRC Plus is nearly identical at 151 for Arenado and 152 for Machado. I might, th I might make a pitch for Machado. I think he has the higher war on the season, but either one, you really can't go wrong. Just do everybody a favor and don't pick... Don't pick Justin Turner. I think everybody would be happy. Shortstop, again, going to come down to a coin flip between Turner and Swanson. Actually, Lindor Lindor had a much better season than I thought. Wow. Okay. I still think it's going to go to Trey Turner. Just the best all-around shortstop in the National League consistently, again, this year. Outfield, I'll list them all off like Tom did. We have Mookie Betts, Kyle Schwarber, Juan Soto, Starling Marte, Jock Peterson, Michael Harris, 
Brian Reynolds, Hunter Renfro, and Brandon Nimmo. Right off the rip, Mookie needs to win one. He had a great season. He should win a gold glove. If he wins a silver slugger too, I don't think anybody's complaining. Juan Soto had a really under-the-radar good offensive season. Like, he wasn't as good as he normally is, but the fact that an above-average season is pedestrian for Soto tells you how good he is with the stick. Defense, whole nother story. Whole different can of worms. Sucked. Go listen to last week's episode. You'll find out why. Nevertheless, I think the award... I, I think it would go to, you know, Mookie... Mookie, Soto, and Harris is something I could see the voters doing. I, I, I think I think Schwarber just didn't do much outside of hit home runs. That's definitely going to drive down his value. Same thing with Peterson, plus he slumped hard to end the year. I like Brian Reynolds, and Renfro and Nemo are really, really underrated. But honestly, I could see those three being the winners. There's not really a wrong answer in this segment, so to speak, uh, except for Starling Marte. Moving on. Hey, why are I'm you kidding, saying he, I was about I'm, to say, why I'm are you kidding. hating on Starling Marte? I'm kidding. I'm not hating on Starling Marte. I just needed to poke fun at the guy I didn't talk about in that segment once yet, and it was him. He had a really good season, and if he wins it, I wouldn't be surprised, but he also didn't play as many games as the other ones, so yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Hey, speaking of having... Of having bleh, speaking of haven't played as many games, somehow Bryce Harper got nominated for DH in the National League, and it literally says on this little document that I have here that was the official tweet notice of all these awards... Bryce Harper appeared in 99 games, which is short of the 100-game minimum to qualify for winning the award. So somebody voted for Harper, and <laughs> n knowing that he can't win, which I find really stupid, but also really, really funny. So, there's one name you could scratch off. Hey, you want two more names you could scratch off? Luke Voigt and Charlie Blackman. Why the hell were they nominated? Charlie Blackman was a below-average hitter in every metric you could find. That's just really stupid. Oh, and Justin Turner got nominated again because reasons. This is either going to be Josh Bell or Albert Pujols. I'm going to be honest, I think it'd be really poetic if they gave it to Pujols in his final season. He had a better WRC Plus than Josh Bell. Josh Bell was horrible in San Diego. That might actually kill his case. Plus, it's Pujols' last season. It's not like he missed significant time. Just give it to him. And then lastly, we got Utility, Tommy Edmond, somehow, Brandon Drury, Tyro Estrada, somehow, Jeff McNeil, again for some reason, and Chris Taylor, somehow. NL Utility is a mess, and I don't care to give a prediction. <laughs> Except I will, it's probably gonna be Drury, because McNeil's already gonna win second base. If they give him two, then that's stupid. But if you pick anyone other than McNeil, it's gonna be Brandon Drury. I think Edmond's underrated, but as a defender, not as a hitter. So, yeah, that's that's a National League, and that's Silver Sluggers for you. It's a mess, but not as big a mess as the Gold Gloves. Oh, dear God, not nearly as much. But there are still some notable WTFs, making sure I don't say the F word for coinage reasons, uh, swear jar reasons. Still going strong, I think. I've got zero coins in the jar so far, so good for me. So the notable WTF. So Tony rattled them off in the National League. You've had Colton Wong, Luke Voigt, Charlie Blackman, and Chris Taylor. Also, I think you forgot to put down Cattell Marte as one of these notable ones, because how in God's name is he even Oh, you're right. <laughs> he missed a ton of time, too, and even when he was healthy, he was nowhere near what he should be. He was, he was very, very average. I think his WRC Plus was like 100 on the dot. I was close. It was 102. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, Tony sent a perfect meme where it was like soldiers going into battle and then like behind some legit soldiers, you had like two clowns. 
and uh, <laughs> then more soldiers. And I feel like some of these uh, candidates would certainly fit that mold very, very well. Now, that being said, if any of these people win the award, such as Wong, Voight, Blackman, Taylor, and Cattell Marte, I would be very, very annoyed with the coaches, managers, and players that voted for this, if the players voted, whatever. I know it's people within baseball that actually are on the diamond every day. That vote, it's not a media thing or something like that. Other notable WTFs. Well, we're going to get to why one of them is the by far most egregious nominee in a second, but I would also like to point out Luis Renjifo of the Los Angeles Angels is a candidate. Now, to be fair, he is a candidate in the utility spot in the American League. So I feel like it's not that egregious per se because he is a utility player, but still with a guy with an OBP below 300, just under it, an OPS of 103, eh, I don't know about that one, Chief. He did have a 264 batting average, 17 home runs, 52 RBIs. It's good enough. To me, not silver slugger good enough. But again, he won't win anyway, so it's okay. Now... Probably the reason why we are bringing up the notable WTFs in the first place. Martin Maldonado. Tony, how, how, how can we compare? Is there any comparison for like how egregious this is? I, I don't know what's worse. Somebody nominating Martin Maldonado or somebody thinking Bryce Harper is technically qualified for the award. I guess it would kind of, I would honestly lean more with Martin Maldonado because in God's name, how was he a finalist? I will go over his numbers. He played 113 games. He didn't even have 400 plate appearances. He had, count them with me, 64 hits, 15 home runs, 45 RBIs, a batting average, you're going to love this, of 186, an OBP of 248, a slugging of 352, and an OPS plus of 69. Nice. That's the only good thing I can say about Martin Maldonado is his OPS plus is 69. Uh, who voted for him? That's what I want to know. We know we can <laughs> we can see the who voted for who with the Hall of Fame unless you're going to be an anonymous coward and join my bleep list in the offseason. I want to know who voted for Martin Maldonado. My bleep list. I'm trying very hard, man. <laughs> we're both straining to connect sentences connecting sentences without cusses when you already cuss way too much is hard but you get that already i tom this is hilarious to me because you know what i'm noticing right now you know what's a good comp to someone voting martin maldonado for a hitting award someone nominating juan soto for a defense award <laughs> That's like, a you got him mixed up <laughs> which granted I think Maldonado got a gold glove nomination. Actually, wait, no, did he? Who? I don't think Maldonado? he did. I think it was... No, I think it was Murphy, Trevino, and... Uh, wait, hang on. I know they were two. Actually, Maldonado might have been the third. I was about to say, I think No, I think was. it was Cal Rally. Wait a minute. Do we... I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up. We're going to confirm. No, I'm checking I, the logs. I swear to God, I don't think he got nominated. That's, that's actually hilarious. I'm checking the logs. Go right ahead. Wow. Sean Murphy, Big Dumper, and Trevino. No Martin Maldonado. <laughs> they, literally, they got it backwards. Maldonado's one of the best defensive <laughs> catchers in baseball. Where is he the Trevino worst? in this list? <laughs> <laughs> Which, to be fair, Trevino sucked like 
crap <laughs> at the end of the year. He was horrible down the stretch. And he was horrible in the playoffs with the stick, mind you, with the glove. Mother of God, I think he won a Fielding Bible Award and nobody's complaining about it. But Maldonado, really, he's been like one of the worst qualified hitters in baseball for what, how many years now since he was back with the Royals? <laughs> and this is still like he's been on Major League rosters because of his play calling and framing abilities. Oh, an arm. He has a killer arm that'll get it to second easily. Why did he not get a Gold Glove nomination, but he did get a Silver Slugger nomination? And Soto got it reversed. I mean, I guess Soto did get a Silver Slugger nomination, so that analogy kind of falls through, but it's still really funny to me. <laughs> uh, this I, is just... Uh, I will say, Martin Maldonado has been a great hitter in the postseason, which, how? <laughs> Fair enough. You couldn't tell me. Like, I would have no the no Yankees idea. warmed him up. What's that? I said they had the Yankees warmed him up. He teed off. Yeah, so now we mentioned that Jose Trevino had a poor second half of the season. I want to compare the first and second halves of Martin Maldonado and Jose Trevino, just oh for boy. the hell of it, okay? You know what, you pull up, okay, you pull up one on baseball reference, I'll pull up the other. Okay, I've got Jose Trevino. I'm getting Martin, if I spell his name right, okay, it's loading, it's still loading. Second half of the season. All right, let me know when you've got his second half stats pulled up. Got it. Okay, so let's start with, uh, what do you think is a good indication? We'll start with plate appearances, I guess, just so that way we have a number. Yeah, yeah, I guess. So 169 for Trevino. I got 232 for Maldonado. Ooh. Hits, 40. 35. Home runs, 4. 9. Okay, RBI, 16. 26. Oh, boy. Batting average, 244. <laughs> I was going to say, get to the triple slash. You'll be good. 167. Oh, my God. <laughs> In the first half, over 200-plus plate appearances. What What was his first half batting average? I would just want to know that for the record. That is his first half batting average. It's 167. We were, we were doing the second half right now. Oh, we were? Yes. We said the second you, half. God damn it. I thought you said first half. Damn it. <laughs> Well, okay, it's not much better. It's 216. Dear God. Uh, how many home runs and RBIs did he have in the second half and hits? Six and 19, 29 hits, and 147 plate appearances. Okay. OBP, 266. Uh, 269. Wow. Slugging, 360. 381. Mm. OPS, how about this? 626. 650. Oh, come on. I'm trying to make a point here about Martin Maldonado <laughs> sucking, and this is the fine. Okay, I don't care. My point is his slash line is atrocious <laughs> on the entire year combined. Why the hell is Jose Trevino not a nominee at the very least? I can understand it from like an home run to RBI standpoint, but dear God in heaven, this is the one place where I think they got it wrong. I mean, that's a good thing, right? So many of them, it's like... You know, there's there's funny picks like Colton Wong and Cattell uh, Marte, but you know, at the end of the day, if there's really only one that's making you scratch your head and going like, where did they even come to that conclusion? I, honestly, I guess Charlie Blackman too. That would be the next closest thing, or Brendan Rogers for second base for some reason. Maldonado sticks out like a sore thumb, and I find it really funny. I find it sad, but also funny. After last week, I don't take these awards seriously anymore. Seeing Juan Soto's first percentile of outs above average get nominated for a gold glove. 
I think kind of broke me a little bit. So yeah, we're still stuck on that. That broke many people a lot of bits. So you know what? That's <laughs> perfectly fine. Uh, alrighty. I think I think it's about time we move on from Silver Sluggers because we've been touching this subject for quite a while. Again, the nominees, it should be pretty obvious who's going to win. If there's any egregious winners, then of course we will cover it when uh, the actual winners are announced. So now we finally have reached a portion of the episode where we can move past all the other BS and we can talk about the WS. I don't know. World Series, that is. Uh, games 1 and 2 we will be recapping here. Of course, again, we've only seen games 1 and 2, as mentioned earlier in the episode, so any other games that happen after this episode is released until the next episode, those will be covered then. Uh, let's, so, <laughs> but first, <laughs> I'm reading the rundown, Tony. Do we really have to go here? Ah, <laughs> uh, God. I mean, it's stuff that we technically didn't talk about last time. All right. We're, okay, we're going to peel off the Band-Aid well, as quick as possible because we're petty little Yankee fans. One last goodbye uh, to this ever-aggravating Yankees team. So, as Tony so eloquently put, and we're going to go through this very quickly because it's they're not important anymore. A literal grease fire broke out at Yankee Stadium during Game 4, which is the perfect metaphor of exactly what happened to the Yankees in this series everything went to flames for them everything is on fire if we were doing the how after they scale right now everything is on fire because of what has happened to the yankees and their organization and just how they got eliminated from the playoffs this year alone mind you they're probably going to bring back aaron boone and brian cashman now it's being reported at least booney will probably return and or cashman what's one or the other but regardless you'll get to see those uh the dynamic duo of Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone, quote-unquote, saving the day next season as well. So stay tuned for inevitable disappointment next year. But yeah, that grease fire, the perfect summary of what happened to the Yankees at the end of the season. I'm going to be honest, man. Past two episodes, I went on fiery rants about the Yankees. Cuss-laden fiery rants about the Yankees, and I'm not going to do that this week. I'm not going to do it for three reasons. Number one, I don't want my name on that cuss jar. I've been clean so far too, and I'm not about to start that up from a team that's not even playing anymore. <laughs> Number two, I just, I feel, I don't even feel angry anymore. I just feel defeated. You know what this feels like? Do you know, are you familiar with the five stages of grief, Tom? <laughs> God. Yeah, I, I am familiar with it. For for the less educated out there, or less cultured, rather, we should probably say, why don't you go through the five stages of grief? Walk us through it. So, it goes by the anagram of DABDA, and it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Yankees fans have been in that fourth stage for the past two months now. I, on the other hand, have perpetuated an anger quite a bit. I don't know, I feel like we skipped over bargaining. In a sense, like, I mean, no, we kind of have. We've pitched on lineup ideas and ways to approach the team once they do fire Boone, which probably isn't going to be this year. I keep hearing rumors that him and Cashman are back, and I, I'm just bracing for it at this point. If they do not bring back Cashman, that would be amazing. I'd rather him gone than Boone, and 
He's on a hotter seat. His contract is expired. Hal would have to go to him with a new contract and say, hey, come back. Boone's still in the middle of a three-year extension, so I'm more optimistic about losing Cashman, even though I'm not really optimistic about losing either of them. But nevertheless, I... We've mired in anger. We've mired in depression on this show. Like, the Yankees are done. They got swept. All of their flaws have been exposed. Like you said, the Band-Aid was ripped off, Tom. I'm using it in a different context because it works. And that wound has just been exposed to the elements. And that wound is the New York Yankees. It was absolutely pathetic how they went out. I don't know, man. We're gonna save the whole, like, what do they have to do next season? for the off-season episode, which is probably coming in an episode or two. You know, the World Series is almost over. We're not going to deep-dive teams right now. So we'll get to that when we get to that. I mean, hell, we've we've honestly talked about that, you know, to a lesser extent the past two or three episodes. So I'll save you the whole spiel about fire everybody, sign Rodon, sign Trey Turner, maybe. I don't know. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah. Can, can There's we... one thing, Tom. Hey, what's up? I think, I think we were about to say the exact same thing, so I will let you preface I, this. I... There's one thing. If this isn't what you were going to say, please stop me and say it, because I'm about to go on not a rant, but just a spiel, if you will. I'm because, looking forward to this. Because there was one thing that I... That, we need to talk about this, dude. We could talk about how they blew a lead in game four, or they got shut out in game five. At five, <laughs> they didn't even go to game five. Game three. I, I want to talk about what happened in between games three and four. Yeah, we're thinking of the exact same thing. Go on. Awesome. So, Aaron Boone, as a manager, has, uh, let's just say has, he's caught some fire. He's caught some slack in his, uh, his methods of lineup construction and bullpen management. Well, now we also have to question him as a motivator. Because the Yankees employ an individual with the title of mental skills coach, which I don't know what the hell that means. I don't know. Is that a therapist? Is that somebody who helps you, like, cope with, you know, playing in the big time? Does he help you meditate? Can he prescribe things? Probably just get you mentally prepared to play baseball. I would say some sort of, like, therapist or, like, hype man, maybe, could be it. Because apparently, I guess that's what they were trying to do here. I'm sorry, I love the picture of the Yankees paying a hype man <laughs> to just dress up really extravagantly, flex his muscles, and run around the, the locker room going, All right, let's go! Come on, we're gonna get him today, let's go! Just high-fiving everyone, slapping everybody on the ass, just getting so needlessly excited when well, they're about to get swept. Well, he tried to hype them up in a very unorthodox <laughs> way. That just so happens to be one of the worst, if not the worst, collapse in professional sports history. Oh, yeah, he did. And what's even better, this collapse that, like Tom said, I don't think it's an exaggeration to call one of the worst in sports, happened to the New York Yankees. And I'm talking about the 04 ALCS. Why am I talking about the 04 ALCS? Well, because Aaron Boone and his goddamn mental skills man thought it was a good idea to show the New York Yankees footage of the 04 ALCS. You know, the series where the Yankees blew a three games to none series lead and watched their most hated rival go to the World Series and then win the World Series. I Oh, and cherry on top, they apparently called David Ortiz, too. So that's doubly embarrassing. I, I, I want to keep talking about this, but I can't stop smiling. This should make me uncontrollably angry because, Tom, this is probably one of the most... 
blinded, tone-deaf, utterly inappropriate methods for motivating a team I've ever seen in my life. Like, this is like you march into the Atlanta Falcons locker room, just be like, alright guys, you know, we're really down bad in this half, we're down by multiple scores, multiple touchdowns, we're trying to, you know, get back into this game. Why don't we take a look at the footage of Super Bowl 51, and see how this New England Patriots team handled a comeback in the second half of a ball game. Like, that's what this seems like to me, it's so utterly inappropriate, and it should get me so mad. But I, 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 I think this team broke me a little. When I heard about that, all I did was laugh. All I'm still doing <laughs> is laughing. And the fact that people in the Yankees organization came to this man's defense, like Cashman and Hal said, yeah, Booney's our guy. Come on, we signed him up three years for a reason. He's showing the Yankees getting killed in the ALCS. Are you kidding me? Like, former players came out and, like, Derek Jeter came out and said, yeah, I don't even like to think about that series, even today. Like, former players who remained anonymous said that they were quietly really disturbed by that. Like, why'd he do that? Mariano Rivera straight up said if he was the owner, Boone wouldn't have his job anymore. Further proving <laughs> why Mo is the goddamn goat. Ugh, Tom, that turned into a rant, not a spiel, so please, take the mic, take the rein, say whatever you want to say, just, I need a minute to collect myself, I'm, I'm gonna have a laughing fit, please, please hold. So, uh, instead of talking about why I think it's completely asinine of them to show the 04 ALCS footage to the Yankees, which of course it is, why would I defend that? I want to throw out this fan theory that everybody's been saying on Twitter because you mentioned Derek Jeter. Everybody's wanted him and Mattingly to be this GM-manager combo, and I couldn't think of a worse idea. Now, here's why. Not necessarily because of the Jeter portion, because I do think he'd be a good businessman, and he seems like he would handle himself very well and has that right temperament that I feel like would be the good stroke of. He knows how to handle the media. Obviously, he's done it extremely well during his playing career. He knows New York better than anyone else, and he has that business experience running things down in Miami. Now, that being said, things didn't necessarily go swimmingly, and it wasn't all rainbows and sunshine and unicorns down in uh, sunny Florida. But I will say this. I do think, again, he could potentially be a good businessman. Now, Don Mattingly, why would you bring... Okay, so if we're going to bring up the whole Miami experience, why do you want to bring Don Mattingly along with you? When Don Mattingly, as we've said on this show before, is an average manager at best. Why would you want that? He would be an Aaron Boone 2.0, I feel like. I feel like things would be analytically based still with Don Mattingly. Maybe he'll have more balls to take control over the situation and take the reins and try and develop his own lineups and stuff like that. And I applaud that, but I don't think Don Mattingly is, again, that good of a manager to begin with. The people who are saying that probably haven't seen his track record. He does not have a good track record when it comes to the playoffs. And I'm not just saying that because of Miami, although he did do good things in 2020, but that was a BS playoffs to begin with anyway, if you want to think about it, because they shouldn't have been in there. With the Dodgers, he did not have success with them. As a manager, I will pull up what exactly happened with him as a manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I will say he probably had a winning record because it was the Dodgers. I can tell you he had a 446 and 363 record, but he went 8 and 11 in the postseason. His best finish in the postseason was 5 and 5 
in 2013 when they lost the NLCS 4-2 to the St. Louis Cardinals. Besides then, he did not get past the DS at all. And he was with that Dodgers team for five years. And they fired him probably for that very reason. And then proceed to hire Dave Roberts. But that's another slippery slope that we don't even need to talk about. In Miami, he's just maintained things kind of decently, mediocrity, whatever. And I don't even want to go into his challenge overturn percentage in 2021 again. Dear God, that is scary. But he is not a good manager in my books. Jeter I'd be okay with. Mangley, I wouldn't. So that's where I wanted to go with that while we close out the Yankees discussion. Do I still think Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone are the right duo for the job? Probably not. I definitely wouldn't lean into that. I'd probably want the GM fired first, and then the GM can make their decision about Aaron Boone if they still feel like he's the best man available given who would be left on the market at that time. Then I can roll with it because he technically has a contract, and then next year you can attack that again. So I would probably much prefer a GM right now than a manager because if we got another manager, it would still be Brian Cashman's manager and it'd be the exact same thing. So that's what I wanted to say about the Yankees as we close out this period and talk about the World Series finally because I really want to talk about this because uh, it is, of course, baseball's most important time of the year. October baseball. And again, we've got two games to go through. Should be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Let's get into it, Tony. Let's start with game one. So, game one saw the Phillies win in Houston, something that hasn't been done this postseason, and it's something that's incredibly hard to do, supposedly, in the postseason to begin with, apparently, unless you're a National League team. Also, it was the first Astros loss in the postseason this season, because if you remember, they were undefeated coming into the World Series after having defeated the Seattle Mariners and the New York Yankees. Tony, your thoughts on Game 1 as the Phillies mounted a wondrous comeback off of Justin Verlander. Well, Game 1, I think, put on display better than anything what the Phillies are. Now, that sounds like a load of crap, and that's kind of because it is, but I mean in a sense of how this Phillies team is good, you know. They're not going to be the Astros. Both games, the Astros, in the first inning, just straight up attacked the Philly the Philly pitcher. Game one, it was Zach Wheeler. Game two, excuse me, game one, it was Aaron Nola. Game two, it was Zach Wheeler. Game two, we'll get to it in a minute, but they opened up with three straight doubles from Altuve, Pena, and uh, Alvarez. It just really, really made me sad. Uh, I, I lied, though. I'm, I'm sorry. They scored in the second inning of game one. They didn't score in the first. So they're not going to overpower opponents right from the beginning, but they're a feisty team with the ability to come back at a moment's notice. And that's exactly what they did in game one. Verlander, much like he was against the Yankees, was he didn't have his best stuff. He was a little wild. He was leaving things right over the heart of the plate. And the Phillies started taking advantage. They had trouble figuring him out at first because, well, it's Justin Verlander. But at the same time, they settled in, saw how he was throwing, and they pounced on him. They absolutely torched, well, they didn't torch him, but they chased across five runs over two innings towards the middle of the game. And that was the last bit of scoring until the 10th inning, where JT Realmuto, probably the one of the Phillies MVPs of this playoff run so far, he's been fantastic, cracked a go-ahead home run just over the right field wall, which, fun fact, 
That was the same part of the yard Judge hit his ball to. And by a difference of a couple feet, I think it might have been even been one foot, Judge's stayed out and Romuto's left. I hate baseball sometimes, except Game of Inches, yay, it's great. It's gotta be the wind, man. It's the wind, that's why. (laughs) Could you imagine if Rob Thompson went in the postgame and been like, oh, man, because didn't they close the roof because it was raining? They may have. I don't know. (laughs) Could you imagine if Rob Thompson went to the postgame presser and someone asked like, oh, yeah, JT's home run just barely got out of there. What were you thinking when it was sailing through the air? He goes, oh, thank God they closed the roof. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) It's the most non-subtle jab at Aaron Boone ever. I'd be in support of it. I don't care. I love Rob Thompson. Oh, man. So that's pretty much game one. Just very, very resilient showing from the Phillies hitters. Very, very gutsy showing from the Phillies pitchers, by the way. Mm -hmm. Aaron Nola, only Phillies pitcher to allow any semblance of runs. So that means props to Jose Alvarado, Zach Eflin, Ranger Suarez, Sir Anthony Dominguez, and David Robertson. Yankees legend closing out that game. Uh, And the last thing I'll actually say about game one is... I want to use one of my cusses here, but you haven't used it yet. So I'll say F. Aledmiz Diaz. And his excuse, or excuse me, his attempt to duck in front of the ball and reach first on a hit by pitch. But God bless. God, please give the home plate umpire of that game just the greatest, like, just a good time. Give him the greatest day of his life for calling Aledmus Diaz on that. Because that's that's a load of crap. It's a load of crap. And if he would have gotten away with it, people would have been righteously mad at that umpire. I completely forgot about that. So that means there's been two graceful umping performances in this series alone. (laughs) The second one is honestly more impressive that we will get into when we talk about game two. I forget. I don't know who the umpire is, but I remember seeing the moment on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, he leaned into it. And the umpire immediately picked up on that. God Mm -hmm. bless that umpire. He even told him. I believe the Phillies or the Astros or just whatever the Spanish broadcast was actually picked up the hot mic and uh, the umpire pretty much uh, told him to it. You effing leaned into it or get the F back in the batter's box. You could very much hear the F bomb being dropped, which (laughs) fantastic. And then, of course, I believe it led Ms. Diaz ended up being the final out of that game. Sucks to be you, Houston. I would also like to point out two more things about this game. Or actually, a few more things. One, Kyle Tucker damn near became Reggie Jackson, I feel like. He had two home runs in his first two plate appearances. He had four RBIs on the night. And he is just continuing a onslaught of offense in the postseason for the Houston Astros. Uh, Honestly, good for him. I have no hatred towards Kyle Tucker other than the team that he plays for. Uh, So, honestly, good for him. But uh, screw you at the same time, dude. Two, do you remember what Nick Castellanos did when they won that game and or he made that like sliding catch? Also, mm. I would like to point out, I believe I, I need to pull up that tweet from Jeff Passan because I never thought I would have seen that in my life coming from Jeff from and actually scratch it, not even just from Jeff Passan, from any single person in baseball ever. Yes, this is the tweet from Jeff Passan. Nick Castellanos just saved game one of the World Series with his glove. We're going to extra innings. That's his, that's two sentences I never thought I would have seen typed or said or anything of the resemblance in my entire life. Because <laughs> Nick Castellanos in gloves, things usually don't correlate very well. It's the exact equivalent of Juan Soto with a glove. That's pretty much Nick Castellanos in the outfield. And of course, 
it's not a good thing. But um, the Dame Man, uh, I was trying to make an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia reference with the Dame Man Cometh or something like that, but that was going to be terrible. <laughs> But that, so anyway, Nick Castellanos, he lifted up his jersey, exposing his chest to the world. Great. But he did it to show that he didn't have a wire on <laughs> underneath, which I thought was an absolute great troll job by Nick Castellanos. Fantastic work. So you're doing God's work, uh, making yourself a meme continually every single day. I absolutely love it. Hang that picture in the Louvre. <laughs> My final comment about this. Justin Verlander, again, he gave up five earned runs in this game for an ERA of 7.2. Tony, do you want to know some fun facts about Justin Verlander in his seven career World Series starts? I would love to know some fun facts about Justin Verlander in his seven career playoff starts. World Series starts, not playoff World starts. Series, my bad. There we go. In those starts, he has a 0-6 record, a, 580, awesome start. a 568 ERA, and has allowed nine home runs in those career starts. Now, just for comparison's sake, everybody rags on Clayton Kershaw all the time when they talk about unclutch performances in the postseason. And I can agree with you. But he also has, or no, I'm sorry, he has six career playoff starts in the World Series. He has appeared in seven games. He has a 3-2 and two record, a 446 era and he has given up only six home runs so still less than justin verlanders i feel like this is the perfect opportunity somebody may have already made this on twitter where you know that meme where they have like two mcdonald's workers one on the left and one on the right where one says like rich and the other one says like broke ass i feel i, I did that i did that earlier with cole and scherzer in the wild card game <laughs> I feel like the same exact thing could be said about people when they talk about Justin Verlander, where he would be on the uh, strong and independent side, and then broke ass would be Clayton Kershaw, when in reality, it should be the other way around if we're going to compare apples and oranges here in this situation. So I just wanted to point that out, because <laughs> good for you, Justin Verlander. <laughs> I, I smile <laughs> at this. He's now thrown in uh, different World Series in three different decades. That's why I wanted to say. 2006, 2012, mm. and 2022. Damn, I forgot about that. I and, think him and Roger Clemens are the only ones who have ever done that. Yeah, also if, also 2017 and 2019 too, but it doesn't matter. They lost. Well, he lost every single World Series in my book. Just saying. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. No, Justin Verlander. I never thought I'd say this, but overrated. <laughs> At least in the postseason, obviously. Regular oh. season, uh, no. But still. Not the best of showings by him. Not the best of showings by pretty much any Astro after the fourth inning. So, huge win for Philly in game one. Game two. Unfortunately, the Astros came back with a vengeance. And they hit the Phillies hard. It was five, excuse me, it was two nothing after the first inning. And they never gave up that lead. Final score was five to two. Again, good job on the Phillies bullpen for playing firemen pretty much. Making sure the game didn't get out of hand. Which, dude, I really can't stress enough, I thought I was going to be saying sentences like this for the Mariners, or even, like, a crazy, like, dark horse team like the Blue Jays. I did not think of all teams' bullpens I'd be lauding this late into the year, <laughs> that it would be the goddamn Philadelphia Phillies headlined by such titans of the game as Andrew Bellotti. Sounds like a Puglisi's paisan waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, him... Connor Brogdon and Brad Hand did not allow a run, 
So good on them for at least keeping it close once Aranola was actually, not Aranola, Zach Wheeler was actually chased. Yeah, not the best of showings by the Phillies. After game one, pretty much showcased why they were even in this World Series to begin with, despite having a fewer than 90 wins and the playoff brackets broken, which two second response to that. Uh, it's not broken. The team's just choked and hot teams get hot randomly in the playoffs all the time. Cope with it. <laughs> that's my contribution to this stupid argument on Twitter. So, yeah, that's pretty much the crux of game two from a gameplay perspective. So, Tom, why don't you take whatever time you want, take your, say your thoughts about game two, but then why don't you do me a favor, intro something else that happened during game two, because, uh, something came to light about a specific pitcher and a specific catcher who may or may not have gotten a silver slug nod with a 70 WRC plus, and his image, and the image of his pitcher, they're not looking too hot right now. They're really not, but they're Astros. They're used to it. See, I actually didn't see anything about Martin Maldonado in this case. I will talk about Frisky for Ember Valdez in just Frisky. a second. Yes, I believe that is the nickname that Pitching Ninja gave him in this case. He's been Frisky, but I will go into why that's the case in just a few seconds here. So, yeah, Phillies, I'm honestly shocked that Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola are getting chased, or rather, I guess slugged upon although again this is the Houston Astros we're talking about this is their most formidable opponent they've faced all postseason so I guess that's understandable but uh they were supposed to be the two linchpins for the Phillies that could kind of get them deeper into games but again their bullpen is doing a fantastic job which again the Phillies and the bullpen yeah it doesn't really click two and two in previous years this year it just seems to be doing the case even in the regular season their bullpen was actually pretty solid but it just wasn't really, I just don't feel like the Phillies really got anything going too, too much in this game. They scored runs in the 7th and the ninth inning of Game 2, and I just feel like, I don't know, they just didn't really get anything going. The Astros got off to a hot start again. They scored three runs in the first inning from a Jeremy Pena double, a Jordan Alvarez double, and Yuli Gurriel, he reached on an E6 from a ground ball. So that is how they got their runs in the first inning. And then they scored two more runs in the fifth inning, courtesy of a home run by everybody's favorite third baseman, Alex Bregman. So that is how the Astros scored all their runs in this game. And then again, the Phillies bullpen, they kind of shut them down. Good job. Phillies bats just couldn't get anything going off of Framber Valdez. First off, before I talk about Framber Valdez, a special note, I mentioned it when I was talking about umpires. In Game 1, how they did a fantastic job and have two defining moments in the series. Well, Pat Hoberg, hats off to you, sir. A perfect game called by him, according to Ump Scorecards on Twitter, in his first ever World Series assignment. Fantastic job. He didn't miss a call all night, even though it may have looked like it, possibly on the monitors and on TV. According to that Ump Report scorecard, he didn't miss a single call all game. Great stuff to him. Yeah, you want to talk about rare? And you want to talk about rare things in the postseason? I don't know if this is the first one that's ever happened in MLB. I feel like it is. I haven't seen anything outright calling it the first perfect game by an umpire ever. But it sure as hell feels like it. Like, bare minimum, ever since I started taking note of the ump scorecards page on Twitter. Yeah, no, first time I've ever seen that. First time I've ever heard the Yoon, like, just the baseball landscape coming together to praise an umpire. You want to know what that's like? Go to Ump Scorecard's 
post about Hoberg's game, go to the quote retweets. You're going to see John Heyman in there saying to get this guy behind the plate for every game. I'm not kidding. It's honestly kind of nice to see everybody coming together, not to crap on an umpire, but to say nice things about him. It's nice. Congrats, Pat Hoberg. You are currently the goat of umpires and you're now the gold standard. So every time an umpire doesn't have a perfect game, they'll be compared to you. So... Honestly, congrats to him. I don't I don't know if he takes that to mean like, oh, that means so much to me. I called such a good game or if he's just like, eh, it's another day at work. Regardless, I think congratulations are in order. That's awesome. Good for Pat Hoberg. Good for the game of baseball in particular. Get the best umpires possible for the World Series. <laughs> I'm immediately flashed back to when Angel Hernandez said, why am I not getting World Series assignments? I'm good at my job. I could do things. And then he called that <laughs> slider from Josh Hader to uh, Kyle Schwarber a strike earlier in the year and it literally caused one of the best freak out ejections of all time <laughs> I yeah Angel do that do a call a perfect game and then maybe we'll consider you for like the game one of the wild card and nothing else <laughs> he can be a uh, he can be like a uh, PA for umpires essentially he'll do nothing <laughs> like he can he can be the guy who brings them water or something like that or like I don't know. <laughs> He's basically the ball boy, just brings them like the balls they have to hold in that little pocket of theirs. <laughs> that that works for me, because screw Angel Hernandez. I almost dropped the F-bomb there. <laughs> umpire scorecards also reported that uh, Pat Holberg was their number one ranked umpire this entire season, actually, with an overall accuracy of 95.5% in terms of calls where it'd be taken where he'd have to make a call. So congrats to Pat Holberg. Clearly... One of the best umpires in the game. Hopefully it doesn't hopefully he doesn't age like utter crap like Joe West did at one point and become one of the most hated umpires of all time. And one of the most hated baseball figures in recent memory. Now it's time to talk about Frisky Framber Valdez. So a lot of people were talking on Twitter after this game, and as this game was going, that Framber was uh, let's say touching himself. What do you mean by that? Now, I know what you're thinking. That sounds really <laughs> nasty. <laughs> but Hello, blooper folder. Yeah, it's going to be a drop. But what do you want from me? He was literally touching his like wrist, his hand, the back of his head, like mm-hmm. anywhere else. There was no other way to put it than saying Framber Valdez outright touched himself in Game 2 of the World Series. <laughs> I'm laughing as I say that. I know it's bad, but... <laughs> No, honestly, the more you say it, I think the worse it gets. So that makes it even better. I'm going to keep saying it then. Framber Valdez touched himself so much that Twitter went crazy. (laughs) (laughs) If we don't use that in next week's intro, what even are we as a podcast? (laughs) If the Astros win, that's their entire like victory chime, I guess. (laughs) And because he was touching himself, people thought that he was cheating. Now, it's synonymous with the Houston Astros and cheating because of obviously what's... (laughs) I'm still thinking about touching. Are you still laughing at that? Yes, I am. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not mature. (laughs) Who do you think you're talking to? Oh, uh, this is what happens when <laughs> we cross the midnight barrier on the Diamond Duo podcast recordings. But let me get on with it because we do need to get on with life and go to sleep. Framber Valdez 
people were accusing him of cheating with the sticky stuff because, again, you would remember that was kind of a big issue that was emphasized early, I believe last year, was the whole crackdown on the sticky stuff thing. And when uh, Sergio Romo and other people, like, I believe he was the one who took off his pants at a baseball game. It may have actually been in Houston, too, if I recall correctly. (laughs) Or maybe it was in Oakland. I don't know. It was Sergio Romo. I think it was in Seattle, actually. It, it doesn't it, matter. But it, it doesn't it, matter. It's Romo, yeah. So <laughs> the whole crackdown happened because of the sticky stuff, and ultimately baseball wanted the game to become more offensive heavy, yada, yada, yada. And, of course, sticky stuff allows you to throw breaking balls with greater exception, higher spin rate, and blah, 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 blah. I feel like this one is more outright than Joe Musgrove just having shiny ears because Framber Valdez... At one point, before he was going to get inspected by an umpire who was scraping off his, like, hand onto his pants or something like that, and it looked like that there could have been sticky stuff, but I I don't know if that's honestly the case, Tony. I will get your thoughts first on this before I try and debunk this theory. As much as I don't want to, I I think it's it's justified of where I'm going to take this. So, an argument people have been using outside of, uh... You really quoted Maybe. that in the group chat? Maybe. <laughs> From Revolt has touched himself so much, Tom, 2022. <laughs> That's how it's going to be saved in the bloopers folder. Be sure to look out next year for a two-year anniversary where we put together another bloopers magnum opus. It'll be great. That'll be the headliner. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, one excuse I see people use to... Uh, not so much, I, I guess, try to accredit this accusation of Framber Valdez is his jacked up spin rates, but I'll just throw this out there right now. Number one, they said the same thing about Joe Musgrove, and he wasn't cheating. I mean, hell, I think even Chris Bassett, who was the losing pitcher of that Mets game, saw his spin rates take a, a shot in the arm. You gotta imagine that, you know, you're pitching in a World Series game, your adrenaline's gonna be a little higher... And your, your command is probably going to be a little better because you want to be the best pitcher you can to give your team the best chance at that, that you can. So that adrenaline is going to lead to a little more spin, and that's basically how Joe Musgrove's situation was explained. I feel like it's the same thing here with Framber Valdez. Now, the big culprit, Tom, is that he kept feeling his wrist. In particular, he, he was feeling other places too. I think you said that. Wow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's mm. gonna go right there in the. <laughs> mm. Mm, mm, mm. I don't like that. I, I don't like how that came out at all. Uh. <laughs> Tom is turning red, ladies and gentlemen. He's turning as red as his goddamn shirt. <laughs> Uh, I know he took out his phone. I know exactly where he's going with this. <laughs> what she said. I'm looking at the group chat now. I... <laughs> oh no! What a crack! Nice, nice spelling mistake, dumbass. <laughs> Framber is definitely spelled Franwee. That's it. That's how you spell it. Thank you, Apple. Steve Jobs, go suck one. <laughs> oh. oh my god, to get back on track before I lose my mind again at, at, at the response in this group chat. 
he was predominantly going to his wrist. And when you mentioned he was wiping his hand off before he uh, went to the umpire, like he was trying to wipe the, the sticky stuff off. I, this is just getting worse. I can't <laughs> stop it. God damn it. <laughs> you get what I mean. The spider tack. Let's just say, call it spider tack. He wiped it off of his wrist on his pants before he went to go talk to the umpire, his best friend. Uh, <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain that one. He kept, that's the big thing that's got me thinking that, all right, oh. it's got me and everybody else thinking, all right, maybe he had a little help in that. And it sucks because Valdez was, Valdez has been absolute nails this entire postseason and the entire regular season too. So it really sucks to see him doing something like this, especially since he was one of the clean ones. He wasn't on the team in 2017, so I had respect for him. But if it comes out that that's actually a little little sticky stick, that's really, 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 really going to look bad on him. I don't know how else to spin that. You said you have a way to debunk this. I really hope you do, because I like Framber Valdez. I like him a lot. And yes, seeing him seeing him go to this level when he was honestly what really doesn't help his case in the scenario is he was absolute ass in the postseason last year. I think he was the one It was either him or Luis Garcia with like a 10 ERA against the Braves. I don't remember if that was him, but he definitely wasn't good. So, Tom, please debunk this because. I, I'm having a hard time justify why he's rubbing his wrists so damn much in the middle of this start, especially, you know, on his glove hand too, where he can easily, uh, where he can easily conceal it. Yeah. So I'm taking this, I'm taking this from Pitching Ninja. So he's compiled a video compilation of, he called it fidgety fromber, not frisky fromber, like I put in the rundown, but I think both hold true. Frisky. Where fromber, like, he fidgets with his hands a lot. Like, he touches his hat, his wrist. He goes to a lot of different, like, he just keeps motion going and keeps grabbing different things throughout the entire course of the season as he's pitching on the mound. And he's got a video, again, compilation up on Twitter from the first game of the season uh, that he's been doing it all year. Now, of course, it looks more sus because it's on a national stage. And again, the spotlight is on the Astros. And when the spotlight is on the Astros, things tend to wilt or not go well. Oh my god, Twitter is fidgeting just like Framber Valdez is, according to Pitching Ninja right now. Dear God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like on auto loop, Tony. I'm going to send you a video of what's going on right now with uh, Fidgety Framber. Oh, um, lovely. And what's going on on my Twitter. Right now it's essentially on loop and it is uh, broken right now. So that is absolutely fantastic. But um, again, I'm bringing, this, I'm bringing this up because... If this is true that he's been doing it all year, then I feel like at some point he would have gotten caught. Also, the umpires do these checks for a reason. I don't know how many times they necessarily checked Fromber yesterday, but they could have checked other places. They checked the wrist. They checked the hand. They could ask to check his pants if they really wanted to, to see if there was spider tack on it. So I feel like if there was stuff on that would aid in his pitching— it would have been caught by the umpiring crew. I would have hoped. Otherwise, Pat Holberg did not have a perfect game in the slightest if they completely missed that. But I, I want to believe that it would just happen to be circumstance because it's the Astros. I see what people are saying, though. It looked very suspicious. But from what I've seen from Pitching Ninja and just thinking about it analytically, I don't think there was cheating. But you never know. Hey, all right, fair enough. 
again, I really hope that's the case and that he wasn't cheating because, <laughs> Tom, I think I put this in that group chat that it seems like this team cannot go on a deep postseason run without either a World Series L or a massive cheating conspiracy to follow it. <laughs> I, the trash cans, the buzzers, this shit now. Damn it! Hey! I didn't do it! Yes! <laughs> really? One cuss right at like the last story? Really? <laughs> I'm not the See, one who did it. Let's go. Yeah, I'm more impressed I made it this far. I'm impressed that both of us made it this far, but still. <laughs> I, I mean, now I don't care anymore, so... Actually... I was just going to start cuss bombing, but it, I just realized it's my half of the episode. So, you know what? Maybe not. <laughs> I could start doing it just because who gives a beep anymore? <laughs> but I want to I I, have a clean slate you, this rest of the episode. See, I was going to say, don't you want to like not have to throw a coin in the jar? Plus, if you just start going F, 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 this, F, that, you know, like your favorite song that you were talking about before the show. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to have to start showering coins inside the mug. <laughs> that's that's not gonna be fun for anybody so god either way you, you get what i mean this team really can't escape controversy like if i'm an astros fan at this point i'm annoyed both at the fact that it keeps coming up but the fact that it keeps happening to begin with even if they're not cheating just the fact that they're every season it seems like they become less and less likable which it sucks this was the one year where if they had to win the world series some year other than 2017 this was the one year where i wouldn't like it but I wouldn't be the most upset in that, you know, the team's still really good this year. They haven't been proven to be cheaters. There's nothing to lead me to believe that they're cheating this year. Plus, they have exciting young players in Jordan and Tucker absolutely tearing it up. Plus, the team that they'd be beating is an 87-win Phillies team. So it's either an improbable Cinderella run that I hope keeps up, don't get me wrong, or the Astros finally getting one. And we could just continue to count the days until that aging core either retires or moves on and their depleted farm system takes over and they suck again. Mm -hmm. However, we will just have to see. See, it, it's things, and this goes in professional life or personal life as well. It takes so long to build up a reputation. And the Houston Astros in 2017 were that likable winner. They just had Hurricane Harvey. They win the World mm -hmm. Series. And it looks like they did it for the city of Houston. Oorah. And then I started hating them more and more because they kept beating the Yankees, and that's still true in 2022. But I feel like that's more of a Yankees systematical failure than anything at this rate if it's just going to keep happening again. But with reputations, it takes so long to build up, and it takes mere seconds to ruin it. And once you ruin that reputation, it's going to be extremely hard to climb back up that mountain. And I will say this, they have not done a very good job of climbing back up that mountain necessarily. Maybe in the baseball landscape and within the game, maybe they've taken strides. I know their front office is pretty much a brand new front office. I know we compared the Yankees front office to their front office last week, I'm pretty sure. And like they've got a bunch of new hires and whatnot, but once that, they have that cheating reputation, guess what? It's going to stick with them for as long as this franchise goes, and it's just something they're going to have to live with. If I were a Houston Astros fan, yeah, I'd be salty at having to relive it year after year when we win anyway, but guess what? You're also the same fan base that says they didn't cheat in 2017, so maybe it's just divine intervention after all. I'm not saying every fan thinks that. There are probably some rational fans out there, but um, 
yeah, it, it, it's just the unfortunate thing. I'm, we're Yankee fans, and we have to deal with the constant crap that comes with being a Yankees fan all the time. And most of it is justified. I would agree. Yeah, it, it just the hap- it just so happens to be that way in sports. But that's the beauty of sports, is that trash talk and that rivalry. That's what makes sports amazing. Now, you were mentioning maybe this is the Astros' year, Tony. Well, guess what? I want their true divine intervention. I was Jesus yesterday in Halloween. I want to be Jesus one more time and strike down a holy hand grenade on the Houston Astros. They cheated in 2017. This core, if they keep losing and losing and losing in the World Series, to me, it's just vindication and sweet justice that they don't win one with this group because of what they did in 2017 to disgrace the game of baseball and cost people their jobs. That's all I want to say. Now, that now this is going to look really bad of me if they somehow win it by the time we record the next episode. But, sorry, I, I don't like the Astros, so that's how I think. I mean, I thought for a second you were going to pull, like, what you said at the beginning of the episode. The whole, like, you look up to the sky saying, Our Father. No, I'm not going to do for that. One... No, that's not going to happen because the exact opposite <laughs> thing of why I wanted to happen happened with that i don't want i don't want to take any chances also i'm not dressed up in my jesus garment and my beard and wig and stuff like that (laughs) no well that's the thing i'm saying say in our father that the astros win and by that logic that we established at the beginning of the episode the astros are going to lose so i would say switch that up but it is true you don't have your jesus beard and garb although that would be really funny I think next Halloween, we should just record in our costumes. Screw it. Which, granted, I'm probably going to be dying down here because there's no AC down here to begin with. And if I dress as pretty much anything, it's going to involve layers. Yeah, probably not the best idea for me, but I don't care. I think it'd be funny. (laughs) It's also only an auditorial medium, so it's not like anybody would get to see it either. But uh, we could still do it just for funsies. It would be a good conversation piece, I feel like. Eh, fair enough. It'd be, it'd make for whoever has the intro to have a really easy time thinking about an intro to use that week. <laughs> well, if it's me by so, natural causes, then you get you already know what I'm gonna say because I've said it <laughs> two years in a row. Ooh, maybe I'll steal your thunder if I get it next week for the uh, next week next year for the <laughs> Halloween episode. Feel free to do that if you want to. You have my blessing. At least okay, right now. Thank that you. Might, that might change a year I'll... from now, but you have my blessing right now. <laughs> I was going to say, we have we still have a year to decide this. We'll see. We'll not decide this, to remember this. So, we'll see. We'll see if I remember it. We'll see if you remember it. But, God, yeah. I think that's all I had to say about Houston. Just, I, obviously, I'm not rooting for them. I don't know. I, should we give predictions to close things out? Because cards on the table, we don't really have a ton else to talk about this week, ladies and gentlemen. So, do, do we want to give predictions as, bleh, predictions as to how the rest of the series is going to go before we sign off here? You brought this up, so I will let you take the reins if you want to do this. If you want to do it, I am perfectly fine with it. I can give a prediction. I haven't thought of one, but I can come up with one on the spot. But uh, I will let you go first. Oh, I haven't either. This is completely off the cuff because I've run out of things to say about the Astros and I don't have a ton to say about the Phillies other than that Bryce Harper is somehow underpaid. I think we talked about that last week, but I'm bringing it up again because it's still true. And the Yankees could have had him, but they chose to pay Donaldson and Chapman. Uh, we're not going down that rabbit hole again. We're not. I'm going to cuss more and I'm going to hate myself and I'm going to tally more on the stupid napkin. Yeah, no prediction. I'm going to say chaos happens because honestly, dude, I think Philly takes the series in Philly. You saw what happened when they played against the Padres. The second they went to Philadelphia, they went crazy. 
The only game they lost was in San Diego. So now that they're within their home confines again, I think they bare minimum, they take two in the series in Philly. I'm going to hope I'm right. I'm going to knock on some wood. So I'm a little extra hoping that I'm right. I'm going to say, I'm going to say something ballsy. I think the Phillies take it in six, six or seven, because if they take two of three in Philly, that would set them up for a win either in game six or seven. So I'm going to lean six to be a little more ballsy, but if it goes to seven and they still win, I'll still consider that like, okay, I had the basic idea right. Just whether or not they got it done in game six was, uh, that's the coin flip for me, whether or not they could win right in Houston again. I'm going to say my prediction with a cheeky smile on my face, because you all know what I'm thinking here. Houston in six. I'm saying that with a smile on my face. I hope you know why I am implying I have a smile on my face. Houston in six. Our father, who already... <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to like, like pull the wig out from off screen. Just like reach your hand out to the left and just, all right, I'm ready. It is in my house, but it's upstairs, so I can't I can't go grab that. Like, uh, if I were, like, Dash from The Incredibles, then I would totally do that. <laughs> but uh, I am blonde, uh, but I am not fast at all. That has never been a uh, fact about Tom Bauer. So Don't worry, it's never been a fact for Tony Puglisi either, but please continue. <laughs> I was just going to say, that is it for episode 47 of the Diamond Duo podcast. Oh, dear God. This was a... Uh, Halloween special yet again, and another Halloween that we did not do a mascot tier list <laughs> to tie in with <laughs> Halloween. So, fantastic. But, of course, we have the World Series, so there you go. That's talk enough for you. And I made it this whole episode without cursing from the moment we had the disclaimers. So, ooh-rah. I can do it. I can do it. That's all I needed to know. Next week, I'm not going to say the same thing. So uh, just uh, take it while you can if you're a fan of non-cursing Tom. And you know what? I'm going to enjoy editing my second half with one whole edit or one whole edit, one whole censor, because I know this time next week we're going to be back up to the usual 50, you know, to kind of fill the quota that we didn't quite hit this week. Plus, the World Series will be over, so we'll be in celebration mode. Plus, we have a couple ideas we're juggling in the air as to what we're actually going to do. We think we know what we're doing, but... We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So, I think it is just about time to call this episode closed. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening to episode 47 of the Diamond Duo podcast. Again, please be sure to go follow us on social media, at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter, the Diamond Duo podcast on Instagram, for more content, show updates, and quick hits. We'll do it this week, we promise. Uh, I'm not I'm not willing to make that promise, but go on. We only have promise, sort of. Anywho, thanks again so much for listening, and thanks for being on this ride throughout the entire season. By the time we're talking to you next week, season's probably going to be over. Maybe sort of probably. So thank you for being with us for the entirety of the 2022 season. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you're ready for the end game and the off season. We'll see you next week, folks. Take care.